Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to a 15-60 and 60 mailbag edition. Talking Western Conference here, our third 15-60. and 60. And let us begin here, Danny, with the Utah Jazz. We'll yeah. go in reverse alphabetical order today. Yes, since last time we did the West, we went top to bottom. We will instead go bottom to top. The Utah Jazz are 8-5, and five, but I would say a surprising 4-4 four and four since last time we did it, including losing four of their last five games. They um, were recording this on Sunday. They, re- they lost to the Heat in Utah on Saturday. Saturday night. The Jazz are still a robust second in net rating, plus 7.9 per 100 possessions, third in offensive rating, 11th in defensive rating using clean the glasses garbage time filters. And the Raptor based projections are still extremely high on the Jazz. 54 wins ties them for first in the West, and ELO gives them a 93% chance of making the playoffs, which is a little bit lower. Yeah, so what we got here to start for the Jazz? So we got a couple of questions on basically kind of like how the Jazz should handle should handle this season. And um, what somebody said, should they pull a Bucks 2021 to focus on the playoffs and matchups? And I, I so I actually talked about this a little bit with Matt Moore on Real GM Radio. And my issue with that in terms of like, I, I think that the regular season is a laboratory, but part of the problem for the Jazz is one more personnel. It's like, so there's this idea of like, can they do a switching system? And I don't think... That the Jazz can defend at a high level without Rudy Gobert on the floor. And maybe you, ex- you experiment with it because why the hell not? But, and if that's, if you sacrifice a couple wins, so be it. But I actually think the more interesting question then can they defend without Rudy? Because you think about the dribble penetration and yes, that would be reduced with a switching system conceptually. Um, but it's hard to change, dramatically change your personnel and supplemental rim protection is generally a big weakness of those groups for almost every team that has ever done it. And the Jazz don't really have that guy who can be the Draymond Green. But to me, the more interesting question is giving Rudy Gobert more opportunities in switch and seeing if he can do it. And yes, you're going to run into the problems like you did against the Clippers of him being out on the floor. And then if Rudy Gobert is out on the floor, then who's going to be protecting the basket? But I'm interested in how that could work and getting more reps on that because there will be teams that try it. Yeah, you mentioned the idea of the regular season being a laboratory and they just don't have that much equipment in that laboratory, right? They're low on test tubes and Bunsen burners and beakers. And so, but I I am glad that you came up with that, that one idea of Rudy Gobert potentially posting up a little bit more and trying to get deep post position, getting some of the smallest from another team in foul trouble. Now, worth noting that not that many teams in the regular season are even going to switch against them anyway, right? Maybe it'd be Golden State, maybe the Clippers, the Nets kind of aren't really doing that much switching, the Heat, who, who they just lost to at home without Jimmy Butler. And also, I think that this is a team that, because of their playoff limitations, really needs to have home court. I would say maybe more than the Bucks did a year ago. The Bucks had relatively healthy teams in 2019 and 2020 and still lost so they home court maybe you know wasn't as important to them whereas utah i think 
just imagining them winning with home court to me is very difficult and they also just don't have you remember the Bucks have Giannis right they got they traded for PJ Tucker they got Drew Holiday they had all these defensively versatile players where the Jazz just don't really have that like there's not really much else they could be doing on defense uh, that I can think of other than just trying to do what they already have maybe they could the one thing maybe they could try would be well let's instead of letting guys iso against us let's just go send a hard double team with two perimeter players at them and then we'll just still have rudy underneath the basket to protect the rim when somebody tries to drive it maybe that's the one new thing that they could try if they get into a really difficult matchup but the whole problem there was that then you have a five out system and so rudy it's tough for him to be under the rim and if he does then come and help that you're leaving up a a wide open corner three from the the likes of of someone like Terrence Mann but maybe the thought is hey if we're getting the ball out of this guy's hand then we can rotate we can use our intelligence we can have some rules as opposed to just the guys blowing by us so that's probably the that and the Gobert post-ups would be the two things I would be experimenting with if I were Quinn Snyder yeah I, I'm I'm in agreement there, and it would be good. I mean, in terms of the like doubles and recovers, to get used to some of the communication and movement there. Like, I think that you know there are some basics where it's like, oh crap, we haven't done this for a long time to get into to get into that. And then to go to a different question, we got something on basically the Jazz, their struggles as a three point shooting team. Uh, as as we record this, Utah last year they shot, you know, using clean the glasses garbage time filter, they shot a little under forty percent from three, and then this year they're a little bit under thirty three percent. And so we got a couple of questions, including one from from Evos42 about like the Jazz particular being a surprising one. Um, why? And from what I've seen, I think this is more just, you know, small sample size and than, than anything else. I mean, Jordan Clarkson shooting 24% on 10 threes a game that you wouldn't expect that based on what he has been before. And yeah, he often takes a, uh, a, a challenging mix of three point shots, but that's there. Donovan at 32%. I think that it's possible that the 39 was more of an outlier, but I do think that he's better than, than 32, but I'm not seeing anything in terms of the composition, how they're getting to those three pointers. That makes me think there's something wrong. I think, it's just it maybe maybe last year was a little bit high but they have a lot of really good shooters on the team so i think there is a significant regression to the mean that is going to happen on that front and that will make the jazz offense look meaningfully better and the jazz offense you know at this point they're already third so i mean there's there are other ways that it could take steps back but the shooting part of it i haven't seen anything i'm like oh that's that's different they're in trouble there yeah uh my best guess is that the utah jazz are going to end the season number one in the nba in offense they're Philly is not going to end at number one. They're actually a full point. This, this is per cleaning the glass. They're a full point per 100 ahead of Golden State, who's number two. Golden State's schedule is going to get a lot harder. Utah is number three right behind Golden State uh, at that 113.9. And they haven't hit shots yet uh, from three. So as long as they stay relatively healthy, I think that they are going to be the number one offense. But I could also see them really, you know, still being kind of lower end of the top 10 defensively. Um, what else we got here on the Jazz? So we got a couple questions. Um, one from Ryan Kenneth, and then we got a couple of you know uh, Justin Jensen. I wanted basically like how how can how or if the Jazz can improve some of their perimeter defensive issues and upgrading that personnel is is very difficult. You know, wing especially if we're talking about wings because you know Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are going to be on the floor, so you're you're probably thinking more in the forward sized individuals. Those players are rare and they are really valuable, and as 
Justin mentioned in his question, the the Jazz don't really have they're they're not particularly asset rich right now, and that is both in terms of young players already under contract. I, I don't know if anybody's really into Jared Butler quite yet, and then Udoka Azubuki, we weren't even sure if they were going to pick up his his team option for a year ahead. And the Jazz owe first round picks to Memphis and OKC, so you can either you could do first allowable draft, or you can do um you could maybe loosen the protections with some of that or do pick swaps, but it's going to be hard for them because remember the threshold here is adding somebody who is a part of your playoff rotation. So getting somebody who can do that defensively and also not nuke your offensive spacing like that that's really hard for them to get and like the some of the they um justin asked about like og Ananobi or kyle anderson um and like you could maybe get kyle anderson depending on how the front office sees their rotation once dylan brooks is like fully integrated and everything else and how resilient they want to be due to injury but like you're not getting og Ananobi for what the jazz have to offer no, especially not with the way he's taken strides as a creator this year. Jeremy Grant would be an interesting name to me for them to look at. Now they can trade picks in 2026 and 2028 subject to the protection for their pick to OKC in Memphis. Although I think I think it'll probably be still a little bit steep for them to get someone like Grant. Um, you know, they could do pick swaps in 25 and 27. Bogdanovich or Ingles or Clarkson is probably going to be the matching salary. Clarkson really struggling this year as well as has been a, a huge story, particularly considering how much he struggled at the end of last year as well. But that's probably all the time we have here on the Utah Jazz. Who is next? The San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs are four and eight on the season, two and four since the last fifteen and sixty. And despite that four and eight record, the Spurs are about even in net rating. As of the last time we looked at it, they were underperforming their point differential by about the most in the league. They're twenty third in offense, twelfth in defense. And both 538 models are not super enthusiastic about the Spurs. 22% chance of making the playoffs on Raptor, 29% on ELO. Though the Raptor projection has them tied for 10th, which would mean they'd be right on the mix for the play-in. And we got a bunch of questions, one from Matt Garcia, one from Books31, one from SMM, on basically the Spurs trading Thaddeus Young. And we'll start with the one from SMM, because he asked if the Spurs are allowed to trade Thaddeus Young back to the Bulls. Could they get Patrick Williams back? The answer is no. They are not allowed. You can't reacquire a player on that sort of a timeline. So the Bulls are the one team that cannot trade for Thaddeus Young. Also, they wouldn't have gotten Patrick Williams back in that trade anyway. And so for for Thaddeus Young, like we got, there was Matt Garcia asked about a reasonable return. To me, getting a first round pick would require, like there are kind of a couple different ways you can do it. One is you trade a player who has team control for a while and some match rights or just under contract, or it can be somebody that the team is really confident can be in their playoff rotation, or you're saving your trade partner a lot of money. And so the way that, so to me, Thaddeus Young, even though I really like him, you you picked him for six minutes of the year last year, I had him firmly in the mix, and there's no reason to believe that a lot of that stuff can't continue. He He's not worth a first-round pick in and of himself, and you don't have that team control and everything else. So if San Antonio can use his $14.2 million expiring salary to take on some bad money somewhere else, maybe you can get up to that. So I would say like a decent second, or if you can make it a larger financial swing maybe than a late first yeah and phoenix has been a team that's been talked about as a natural fit and dario Saric is out all of this year almost certainly you would think and he does that is also under contract for next year 
and so maybe young giving them more of a small ball option at the five they can go back to you kaminsky has been playing well lately they've got javel ayton should be back shortly it seems like so maybe there isn't much desperation there for phoenix maybe phoenix doesn't see dario charge as a bad contract for next year uh but you'd think they would like to get off of him this is young's last year of his deal with some of the tax concerns they have with bridges and presumably a new contract for ayton kicking in at that point but yeah teams that want to go you're talking about basically kind of a backup center at this point for thaddeus young and so that sort of player it doesn't generally get a first round pick on it on his own you know phoenix expects to be really good i mean think of how, what the 29 pick went for this year right that enabled them to swap javon carter for landry shamet uh to brooklyn that's and phoenix i'm sure expects to be in the high 20s again with their picks so maybe something like that with also taking on the bad salary would, would be the idea here uh, let's take this one from tomaso how do you evaluate Dejounte murray's start of the season so it's it's challenging because i think the the definitive i dream for Dejounte murray would be that he could fit you know we know how destructive he can be defensively like there's there's not a lot there's not a lot there that we're combing new ground on i mean you and i have talked about that for years but it's can he fit within a decent offense as either the primary on-ball creator or as a secondary guy who can also convert some shots and i'm still i'm still very low on that part of his game i just don't i, I don't really know and murray shooting at this point 32 percent on threes which would be about in line with last year um and then a little bit worse than uh, worse than the year before but maybe that was you know and that was on really low frequency coming back from the acl so I'm, you know, the, it's, if you don't, if you're not getting that creation from your point guard sized guy, then you need to get it from someone else. And that makes Murray a much less valuable piece to a bad team, a good team or anything in between. So I'm not, I'm not thrilled. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'd say he's been at about expectations, and those expectations for me, though, were that he's would be asked to do too much, uh, as you've kind of alluded to there, 25% usage, 50% true shooting, which is not very good. And if you just look at his percentages from each area, they're not terrible. 32% from three is fine. Uh, and then he's shooting 48% between from 10 feet out to the three-point line. That's not bad. Worse from floater range, and then very solid uh, around the rim. But the problem is that almost half of his shots come in that 10 feet to three-point line area, and then another 17% come from floater range. And so he's taking mostly you know, almost 70% of his shots. I'm sorry, 65% of his shots are coming from twos away from the rim. And it's just very difficult to be effective unless you're Kevin Durant level of shooter. And he's a solid mid-range shooter, but it's still, that can't be the foundation of your offense. At least he's not turning it over that much. He still rebounds well. Another problem is he never gets to the foul line also, so he's not going to be very efficient. But the problem is, as you look at it, there really isn't anyone else to pick up that slack. And so he can create those mid-range shots against most coverages, and they're okay in the half court. But that's also kind of their number one offensive option at this point is a DeJounte Murray mid-ranger. Well, and so you could think about two other ways that Murray could could work within a successful offense. One is by being a more reliable catch-and-shoot guy. He has he is 5 of 24 on catch-and-shoots per synergy so far this year. That is horrendous. 
And now you could say maybe in a different system or maybe in a different overall ecosystem, you could get to there. And then the other way is by being a force in transition. And, you know, his individual efficiency numbers in transition are actually exceedingly good. It's in, it's, I mean, small sample size, of course, but in 58 transition possessions plus assists, the Spurs are average, the Spurs have 2.1 points per possession, which is totally, totally ludicrous. And some of that is, you know, they, they, he could get it to, to shooters and stuff, but it's, I would like to see that, you know, in an ideal world, you're seeing the frequency and some of those things. And now that's not all DeJounte's fault. Like the, the, the Spurs not the Spurs not running as much as some other teams is a far more complicated thing. But you like in order to get to that level where it's like, oh, we're you know, we're pushing it down everybody's throat. And even that, like, I mean, that's still not quite enough. All right, we'll do one more here very quickly uh, on the Spurs since we, we already are over time on them. And that's asking about Derek White and his struggles. Um, yeah, White to me hasn't looked as aggressive. I think those, those foot issues have sapped some of his athleticism. He hasn't looked like as much of a difference maker defensively as he had been earlier in his career, though he's still solid. And he's not shooting the ball well. And really, despite the fact that he's been more aggressive, the only time the ball has really gone in for him was in the bubble from three, and they need him to shoot more and shoot better from the outside. But to me, he's been one of the most disappointing players. I really hoped he could take a huge step forward this year, and that hasn't been the case for him. Let's get anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. The Sacramento now 5-8. and eight. Two and six since the last 15 and 60. They are 21st in net rating, negative 1.8, down to 13th on offense after they had a nice start. And after a somewhat decent start on defense as well, they're now down to 24th. So they project for 35 wins, which would be a tie for 10th in the West. 18% chance to the playoffs uh, per Raptor and 28% chance per ELO. What do you want to start with here with these guys? We've got five questions here. Let's see if we can get through all of them. So there's an interesting question from at Ewing and Oz. Um, talked about the idea of the combination of Fox, Heald, Halliburton, and Mitchell, how you have kind of different play types there and how they can fit together. But And so I think that's that's there's there's a, a the heart of an interesting thing there, which is basically guys that do different things well. And so you have the strengths, like you have the defensive guy in Mitchell, and you have you have a shooter in Heald, and Fox can ideally be a force in transition, some other stuff. But And so I, I kind of agree with that structure. However, the most important 
important thing that you need from a guard is what I call the engine, somebody who can generate good shots for themselves and others. And as much as I like some of those players, there isn't, you know, it would have to be basically De'Aaron Fox has to be the engine. Like that's the player who has to take that step forward. I'm less confident in that right now than I have been before. And it's not like he's like definitely not going to be that or anything else, but you need that player to make all these other archetypes work. Yeah, it definitely seems that way to me. And, you know, number one is Fox isn't even playing up to his already established levels, let alone being able to take the next step forward towards being an all-NBA type of guard. And he just hasn't been getting on top of the room as much. I haven't seen doing as much pushing on the fast break. I think his defense has been below what his physical capabilities are. And then too many jumpers that aren't going in as of now let's take this one from uh books so do you want to ask a couple uh on marvin bagley so what do you think the chances are he says that the uh that marvin bagley gets traded i've been noodling around with this idea because there was a report last week I, I would give credit but i can't remember who it was that the i think it might have been james edwards that the pistons are interested in bagley and so a structure that that tentatively works is Hamadou Diallo and Rodney Magruder for Bagley. And that's the type of deal that could make could make sense for both sides where the Pistons, I mean, the Pistons might just want to have cap space because remember, they're one of the only four teams that I project to have cap space this year. But getting his match rights, all that, maybe you get to see what it is this year, see what he is. Um, but otherwise, it gets hard to trade Bagley because he makes $11.3 million this year. And, mo- you know, teams that are over the cap, maybe they have an interest, but his qualifying offer even if it gets reduced because Bagley doesn't meet the starter criteria, is still going to be high. So I think it's modest, but not insanely high. Yeah, and worth noting too, there was a report from Sean Cunningham last week that Bagley was asked to go into a game and actually refused to go in after he has been out of the rotation. But And there's really, you'd be hard for us to find what NBA skill Marvin Bagley has proven to be good at so far. And then he also is... Uh, going to be uh, apparently if you're when you refuse to go into a game that's that's getting to a, a pretty tough level uh, particularly in this day and age we have another question uh in books other question about has there been an increased uh, amount of holdouts and frustration in recent years just in general and i would say no i mean you would see back in the late 80s and then the 90s early 2000s you would see this sort of stuff a lot more i would actually say that the overall basketball character of the nba is much higher than it was maybe 20 years or, or so so this was a a little bit of a flashback to, to that kind of stuff and you know with marvin bagley's father i mean it's particularly when you consider social media that yes anybody in anybody's orbit can say something if they want to including his agent <laughs> jeff schwartz well and it's also so much more it's so much more known now when a player does things like that because all because you know it can fly around twitter really fast like i get i'm guessing there were more there were more times of like responses and not holdouts that streamed that but frustration that just never penetrated in previous eras uh let's get to this one here uh, from daz the diverse combination of fox healed halbert and mitchell is so alluring have you seen any signals from walton to give you confidence he's unlocking the right combinations well that's where i was talking about the idea that you need the engine but i would say yeah um that one of the interesting oh did you already do that yeah i did a little bit but one thing i wanted to add i was i was looking for my next question yeah well and i kind of i I riffed on it but the one thing i want to mention um this i I thought was thinking about this just now is that if davion mitchell's best thing is his defense then you 
typically you actually bring more value there starting because that's when the other team has their best offensive players than the four. But I'm interested in the idea that because Mitchell is a guard, that the, the that might be a little bit different because so many teams are single player reliant offensively in bench units. So if you could take that guy off the board, I was thinking back to what Mitchell did to James Booknight in Summer League then you might just nuke the other team's bench def- bench offense. And actually, the Kings the Kings defense, when uh, De'Aaron Fox has been off the floor, has been insane. And that's not like, oh, De'Aaron Fox sucks or anything like that. It's more just like, so right now, the Kings have a 99 defensive rating when Fox is off the floor. And a lot of that is because Davion Mitchell's on. So I think that might be an interesting thing to track. Yeah, and I think playing all three of those guys together, I think you want to really avoid that. I, I, ultimately, I think if you can just split all of the guard minutes between those three guys, that's that's what, what I would try for. But the theory of it is just that all three of those guys can play with not one another. You can give Halliburton more pick and roll reps when Mitchell is on the floor. And so you always have kind of a pure point guard. That's the beauty of Fox and Halliburton, both having point guard backgrounds. And then you also have Mitchell, who in theory can shoot off the ball. Now, Davion Mitchell, yes, it's good to see him out there defending the way that he's defending. But let's uh, 47% true shooting, 18% usage very low rebound percentage uh, as well hasn't been doing a ton of playmaking so i do have a level of concern about his offense like he's capable of making some plays that look really good but i definitely would like to see where he's at in a couple of months obviously the first 10 games you can't go crazy about it either way but they definitely they've got a lot of guys who are really struggling offensively right now between davis fox Mo Harkless, who still starts games to set the kind of set the defensive tone. So yeah, that's and even Halliburton, I would say, is a little bit below his his normal standards. Harrison Barnes is making up for that. Harrison Barnes, by the way, Danny, fifty two percent free throw rate. Harrison fucking Barnes. That's a. Let's put a pin in that. I want to look into how the hell he's getting to the foul line so much all of a sudden. uh, When that was always a huge criticism of his game for most of his career. That'll be that's fascinating. I, I my guess is just that he is being more he's just finally found a way to slow down on his drives and he's got that move where he lowers his shoulder and then euro steps and he's really mastered that in terms of his finishing and just that he's using his strength and slowing down and gets in a position where the other team has has no choice but to follow him but uh yeah here has been pretty good so far let's move on here are we ready yeah. or yeah or do we we can move yeah, on we, we, we didn't we, get to all five of them it's okay as it turns out um we can move on to the blazers portland trail blazers six and seven on the season three and five since the last 1560 but they do have a positive net rating a plus 2.8 is 11th in the league they are you know we've got into this a little bit they're sixth on offense and 19th on defense but they're not exactly doing it in the same way as a lot of the questions will be about Damian Lillard um both of the 538 models are still pretty positive on them Raptor 88% chance of being the playoffs and the sixth seed and Elo 84% chance of making it and we can start with this I don't want to go full depth into it Jay Cullen asked for a breakdown of Damian Lillard struggles and I think you know we did this a little bit in the struggling stars and a little bit but a a quick follow-up like I think you can put Lillard's kind of his his efficiency issues into kind of two basic pots. One is the three-point shooting. And Damian Lillard is shooting 27% on about 10 a game. And he is a career 37% shooter. And in his prime, he's been better than that. I expect that to get better. Like that's just, you know, I, 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 it would be, I could see it not being 37% this year, you know, just being below that. But is he a 27% three-point shooter? No, hell no. But then the other part is... 
I think, more potentially significant. Damian Lillard is 31, and like so many other players this year, but also like a lot of 31-year-old guards who are very athletic, his free throw rate has plummeted and his efficiency around the basket has has plummeted. He's getting, you know, this year, interestingly, we have praised Lillard so much for his improvement finishing. He's been in the 60s. This year, he's at 55%. And I think, again, I think that will be better. But so if I were to say, like, I think that the three-point shooting is anomalous, but the finishing around the basket, 31 years old, eh, maybe not. Well, and of course, uh, Dame now is not playing in today's game against the Nuggets. Yeah, it was an, an abdominal issue, if memory serves. Well, and and that's concerning. Yeah, lower abdominal tendinopathy. Right, yeah. And this is this thing that he's had for a long time, but apparently was really bothering him during the Olympics. Uh, and, you know, I, I, think, I think it was on Windhorse podcast that he said he was talking to a scout or who said, well, the... I've seen him before when he's been struggling with this and he doesn't look like that but apparently no he has been struggling with that and it's is this going to be an extended absence for Dame and this is basically the worst stretch of his career it's certainly in the last five years he he looked like he might be coming out of it a little bit at times in the last couple of games but I also think anything with the core is a problem for him because he uses that great base to shoot those deep threes, which he has been, he hasn't hit any of those this year, basically. Apparently, like the whole league, other than Steph, is like way down on those long threes. And, but a big part of that is just Dame not being able to hit any of his. So, I, I mean, I do think that the Blazers' offense being where it is is encouraging. They've been getting some good minutes out of Nasir Little lately. He's emerged to be a, a solid rotation player. They've got between him and, and Nick. They've got some good athleticism now in the front court. Covington is having a little bit of a rough start to the year in terms of just not getting that many shots up. I think he'll end up being okay eventually. So, like things see other than Dame, things seem to be going well. I don't think you can ask for much better than 19th on defense so far. And they well, I mean, there is yeah. there is. I think there are there is the thing that like Billups is already moved away from some of his scheme stuff because it wasn't working as well and they it, it, yeah. I, I, there 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 are some troubling signs defensively to be sure no i would i would agree with that uh let's go for a lightning round we got about three four minutes left here yeah so for justin Liu, if you were the gm you basically got a bunch of questions about what would you do if you were the gm and like the the problem with for them of kind of like pushing all in is that there aren't that many they don't have salary ballast and the Blazers are without one first round pick. They owe that protected pick to the Bulls. So can you do future, you know, like next available? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You could. But like, what else are you going to do? Are you going to trade CJ? Are you going to trade Lillard? Like I would, I mean, I, this is sacrilegious to people in Portland. I would listen on Lillard to if on the idea that like, if, if you, but only if you were bowled over with CJ, I would be more open to it just because, you know, he's getting paid a lot for a long time too. And he's not the institution that Lillard is even, and he's making some significant money but like what else you could do i mean covington's not making a ton of money nurkic larry ness jr so like they are part of why i think they're in such a bad place is that it's hard for them to pivot hard for them to change direction. Uh, a couple of questions about uh, neil o'shea we saw the blazers president uh, step down in part uh, supposedly due to issues with o'shea also in part due to the fact that jody allen hasn't really empowered him to uh, what was his name chris mcgowan so, yes i, remember I that, that's right, right. uh and uh dwayne hutchins is replacing him uh, as but this is precedent basically on the business, the business side, side and yeah. uh, chris haynes wrote how uh, 
Olshay was pissed him off basically immediately upon his being hired but supposedly it also has to do with the fact that Paul Allen was empowering him to do all this stuff and build this great brand for the Seahawks and the Blazers in the Northwest and since Jody Allen came on there just hasn't been as much of an impetus for that um so who knows whether this has anything to do with Olshay Jason Quick characterized Olshay as fighting for his job there was supposed to be a always always a great place for your general manager to be by the way yeah yeah and there's supposed to be a report done by the independent law firm that's doing this workplace uh, investigation by November 5th but now they're interviewing more people they're up to like 60 interviews or something like that as we talked about before it kind of seemed like this is going to be the last straw but they're gonna they'll go through the process they hired this law firm and so uh, but so the the idea of trades like not being possible it does seem like it's a ownership would be a little bit less likely to sign off on it but this is not a really sophisticated basketball ownership yeah. well, and, necessarily and, yeah we got that question from at mh whitman about like it basically are trades impossible and the answer is, is they are possible i mean it, jody allen has neil o'shea in power he can have these conversations but i think certain things because you know ownership is involved in this that would be difficult okay let's move on here to the phoenix suns eight and three they've won six straight since the last 15 and 60 seventh in the nba with a plus 5.3 net rating eighth on offense ninth on defense they project for 54 wins which 538 says would be a tie for first in the west and 98 chance of the playoffs per raptor and 97 percent chance per elo so we got a question from uh, Jao Barrios about how should the Suns be feeling about Aiton after this 4-0 stretch without him? And this has, you know, you can say, oh, you know, like it's it's four games, and but there were, you know, this is against capable competition, Atlanta, Sacramento, Portland, and Memphis, two of those four being on the road, including that ass-kicking of Memphis on Friday. I watched the first half of that game. And... Yeah, Me- Memphis also lost to New Orleans last yes, night, they did. too. So they're... Uh, um, they, they've, they've been struggling a little bit. They have been. Um, so I, I would say this is a reminder that non-elite elite centers are not a, always the most important players. But I think it's also... I, I like that the kind of the follow-up that came in, I, I can't remember from Scoot whether it was a reply to the original question or not, but it was how much this campaign also being back playing to this and I think I think significantly and part of what made Phoenix so dangerous last year was that they had this that they were able to have a capable bench so that they could balance out the CP and Booker stuff and they just didn't have that other creator when Cameron Payne was out Alfred Payton is not that guy as many of us have been saying for years so they basically what they did is they raised the floor on some of their their mixed their bench units their mixed units and then they also you know they got had some hot shooting during the stretch so I would say they should be feeling very good of course but should they be feeling like oh we could just let Aiton go because we won four games in November no so you mentioned that I do think for the regular season in particular it's instructive because if you want to say the downgrade from DeAndre Ayton to JaVale McGee and now Kaminsky playing Frank Kaminsky he of the 13.2 net rating which leads the team and compare that to the downgrade from Payne to Alfred Payton who had a negative 12.7 net rating which is uh worse on the team Shamit negative 9.8 but by the way that's uh, that trade doesn't seem to be working out too well so far uh, but obviously it's early by the way but, Sh- yeah. is Shamit becoming the new Westbrook where the team trading him away wins every trade <laughs> 
<sighs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that that didn't happen for Philly trading for Tobias Harris. <laughs> yes, that's Harris, true. So I, I think we can we're all right on that. But yeah, so but I mean that that is instructive, right? That maybe the downgrade in the regular season, the downgrade from Cameron Payne to Alfred Payton is bigger than the downgrade from Aiton to JaVale McGee. Now in the playoffs, depending particularly on the matchup, right? Like going up against the Nuggets. DeAndre Ayton is invaluable. You put JaVale McGee on Nikola Jokic, uh, no, nah, that's not going to work. Uh, and Ayton did a, a very nice job. M- McGee would fall out in about two seconds. And he does. he's not going to get out to the three-point line on Jokic or any, any of that stuff. Um, so, and going against Anthony Davis, Ayton w- was really valuable also. So I, I think you have an argument that depending on the matchup, Ayton could be more valuable in the playoffs. How he'll look against a team like golden state or a team like utah that really spreads the floor a little bit more i I still people are like oh yeah he like shut down the clippers five out attack i disagree with that i think the clippers just went away from that five out attack and also just had marcus morris injured and couldn't really go to it that much Uh, and when the clippers finally went there in game five uh, they won that game and looked looked pretty good so I, I I still the jury's still out on that to me you know him defending in space against really good pick and roll teams and really good three point shooting teams compared to what a lot of people might think. So I I don't I'm not this stretch though doesn't really change my opinion of DeAndre Ayton no. and um, the Sun his ultimate fate with the Suns that much. One other stat on this: um, when Frank Kaminsky is in and Ayton is out, the Suns are shooting forty three percent from three. And yeah, they have a lot of good shooters on the floor, but forty three percent is insane. Opponents are shooting. 29.8% from three. So yeah, some regression to the mean probably going to happen there. Of course, I said the same about the Suns bench defense last year when Sharks was playing center. So who the hell knows? Okay, so uh, Henry Lindemann asking, who's an ideal target for the Suns second unit of the buyout market slash trade market? They haven't played well with Cam Johnson on the floor either. And some of this is skewed, as you mentioned, by some of the three-point shooting and their struggles with Payton on the floor. And then Payne came back and that's when Kaminsky's got going so again over a 10 11 game period you don't want to go crazy and say like their bench is totally fucked but yeah we mentioned thaddeus young anyone else who comes to mind for you as someone that they might want to pick up i feel like their backup forward depth the wing depth seems fine to me i think it's okay uh daniel house good one yeah house is someone who who might might be available um and and i think could be useful for them but i think i to me if you're phoenix you already had i mean you've got abdel nader who hasn't been that great so far this season you still got johnson as backup backups at that position so why would you want to outbid other teams to get daniel house if there's nobody else interested in him yeah i wouldn't mind having him on the team but i think there are other teams that are going to need daniel house much more Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, 
step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us um all right let's move on now here didn't have as many questions on phoenix to oklahoma city a ton of okc questions here let's uh, let's lightning round this let's let's get a uh, 30 seconds on the clock here for the first one well uh, so well, first we do let's do their stats, stats. Yeah. um the thunder are five and six on the season including four and one they've won their last four straight had that crazy win against the kings where they came back in the second half and dort got the stop steal and score to win the game uh they're still 26th in net rating negative 8.4 so that part's kind of similar to last year 29th in offense 14th in defense um raptor still thinks they're not making the playoffs elo gives the the thunder a four percent chance and let's start with this question from um collings anthony is it time to panic for okc as they <laughs> seem to be playing themselves out of a high lottery pick <laughs> um i don't think so yet they may be a little more loath to brazenly shut down the likes of sga and josh giddy you know the thunders still are projecting for 24 wins which is 14th now they could i they might end up in terms of like kind of the same place they were last year it looks like the rockets the pels maybe zion coming back uh, might help we'll see when that is that's still now reporting that it may not be until december like yeah no shit it's the middle of november he's not even playing five on five yet so not a surprise there uh, i know this isn't the pelican section i still think they're going to be okay they it's not like they're blowing teams out necessarily they are getting blown out plenty i don't put a ton of stock in this four and one but i do think that maybe uh, particularly down the end of last year having no fans in their building might have been something that really exacerbated their slide and so over an 82 game season if you're playing hard they do have a good coach i think uh, and you've got some fans who are uh, might get into this young team a little bit that maybe you do win a few more games this season than you did last year uh, down the end but you know what if they get over 25 wins yeah that might it might actually be time to panic a little bit like that that could happen but i still think they're gonna and, and i mean the biggest thing for them is to be 14th on defense right now that could be solved by not trying as hard but uh, yeah i mean let, let's look into it how well all right actually let's just get to more questions that's we can look into their defense more in a future of 15 and 60 but yes I, you know I, I put the panic reading at, a, at about a five what, what do you think Dave? yeah i think that's i think that's about right um question from narlin's noel great handle um do you think playoff teams might be interested in any of okc guys um i don't think there'd be so he asked about muscala i think muscala is a harder sell you know in terms of getting an asset back but lou dort if anybody yeah i mean i i think that you could get you could definitely get something for him i like kenrich williams i think that he could be a, a good fit on on an another team but is there you know other than the blue chip guys that we know they're not going to get rid of right now i wouldn't say that there's anybody outside of kind of that group that i'm that i'm falling all over myself because you're not going to trade giddy you're not going to trade shea um 
and like especially with the you know the ch- challenging year for Baisley, like I think that you know it's harder to to get those to those sales pitches are a little bit harder. Yeah, I've still thought that trading for Lou Dort is something that a, a team should try to do. I mentioned Utah as a potential suitor for him in the offseason. Now they could also be having some contract discussions with Lou Dort and say hey we don't want to pay you the other problem though is I think from a culture standpoint you do want to at least make it clear to some of these young guys that hey if you play well here we will reward you to some degree that it's not just going to be endless tanking out you know if Lou Dort wants 20 million a year yeah I think you probably maybe you move on from him if he's willing to take 12 billion a year okay that seems probably fine also I've had a few misgivings about Dort uh, and he's not bringing quite the same level of defensive effort as he had been you know Kendrick Williams another guy who yeah I think could be a nice piece to add to a rotation but that's a, a a second round pick maybe um but yeah you know Lou Dort is that a you t- take back trade him for a bad contract and you also are uh, able to get a couple of firsts a- as a result of doing that you know that I might think about uh, potentially but uh, let's see how the rest of the year plays out we got a couple of months here to see how Dort plays who, who's going to need him but I, I do think that uh, I would be interested in some of those guys Muscala less so I think he's you know we saw what trading for Mike Muscala to bolster your playoff run did for the Lakers I, I wouldn't recommend doing that uh, so from Burner Burns um, do the Thunder need to sell Giddy or Shade to not be too good no because those are the players that you that if they're good enough to shift your team then they're good enough to be the foundation of the next strong Thunder team like the odds that you're gonna you know you could get somebody in the top five that are gonna do that but remember your odds of getting the actual number one pick aren't great and now whether you think those two guys can play together long term is an important question for the arc of the franchise but this is just a bigger point if the if and and there's this is an if I'm not saying this is why if the reason your young team is playing well is because of the pieces that you think are going to be your center your cornerstones moving forward you're in a good spot if you're doing it because you have like veterans or something else that aren't going to be a part of that team then you're in trouble yeah and you know what maybe they won't ever be in a position to get a number one or over or or number two overall pick although they do have some outs with some of these unprotected picks that they have going forward as well uh, from say the Clippers the Clippers are looking pretty good so far we'll see what that's whether that's the case in a couple of years but they have so many draft picks from teams that yeah you know what like obviously you'd rather have a number one pick than a number nine pick or a number 13 pick but you get enough 13s and you might be able to get some pretty good players uh, out of that too like they did with change Gilgis Alexander or the Clippers did before trading for him um quick question here from BPM Twitter will change Gilgis Alexander be part of the next playoff not play in level thunder team yeah i think uh, almost certainly but i don't yeah. see why they would want to move on from him. i mean unless we're talking about five years from now i mean just starting that deal now so yeah i mean i guess you're saying i, I think he'll even it's it's likely that he might even get another contract with them if things are are going well so it's uh, also- i don't know if there'll be a playoff you think there'll be a playoff team like a straight up playoff team in the top you know getting in from the play-in or being top six do you think that happens in within three years yes i do um the 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 west is like not looking that formidable right now yeah and 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 there and there are some there are some teams that are not only that but there are some teams that are ahead of them currently that i could see some age related or just financial you know all that related regression over the next couple years yeah i mean you know zion who knows what's happening with him in new orleans memphis i think will be solid but i don't think they're like 
it's going to be unbelievable dallas will be around but a, a lot of the good teams in the west are going to probably be aging out a little bit i don't think it's going to be that hard to get into the playoffs in the west in, in like you know two three years yeah. from now and also i think the thunder are better run than a lot of the teams in the kind of the, the yeah. lower end and they have a good foundation they have all these other assets so i, I think they're they're in a pretty solid spot overall um briefly uh the question of how to uh from, from again from from bpm twitter uh, how does sam presti evaluate mark dagnald as it comes to eventually building a contender i mean it's is your team ready to play do they compete on defense do your offensive and defensive schemes make sense based on the personnel you have and i think on those criteria he's doing a very good job yeah and they're also i think have done a pretty decent job with development so far last one for these guys from trey johnson why wouldn't okc go for hail mary and trade four first for simmons or carl anthony towns because those players aren't on the right timeline and they you know like okay you're going to be better for the next couple of years also simmons is too duplicative with the best players on them already towns yeah like i mean he's awesome and get everything in but do you expect when that player hits unrestricted free agency and and you don't have match rights and everything like that do you expect them to stick around and towns might i mean he's been on he's been on some bad teams and everything else but what are you giving that up for to be a the sixth seed next year i mean fine like what's the point yeah well carl anthony towns doesn't appear to be available four first is not the return that daryl moore is looking for in theory although they could get there eventually to where that 20 dollars can buy many peanuts yeah yeah exactly and but yeah i don't see simmons as really a great fit for what they're doing not a great fit with shea Josh Giddy is, is kind of does the same thing as him, except he can actually like run a pick and roll, which Simmons can't. Uh, at least on offense, obviously Simmons is a better defensive player. Um, so yeah, I, I, he wouldn't necessarily be a target for me. Also, you know, is Ben Simmons and his party line right now is that he's not he's not mentally ready to play for anyone. Now that could just be bullshit, and he's trying to still get paid. But uh, let's move on now to the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh baby, they are two and twelve, one and six since the last fifteen and sixty. They did win fairly comfortably against Memphis last night. Nikhil Alexander Walker had a nice game. He's come on in his last four, started getting to the foul line a little bit more, which they've desperately needed. But negative ten point three net rating is twenty eighth. 26th on offense 29th on defense and that's without Zion Williamson uh they still predict for 34 wins which seems high to me I don't know how much the Raptor is expecting Zion Williamson to play this year but that would be 13th in the conference and 18% chance to play us per Raptor 7% for ELO so we got a question from Obi-Wan Jabroni and from Charles McCrary of uh can we make this a 14 and 60 instead of a 15 and 60 and just not talk about the Pelicans at all <laughs> I pitched it tonight I will tell you that I did but the answer is is no um so instead we can start with this question from uh, mason ginsburg assuming zion is back for, by friend of the program friend mason of the program ginsburg, mason ginsburg um assuming zion williamson is back by early mid-december um how should the pelicans balance their quote opportunity to land a top five pick um with trying to make a desperate run at the play-in and i think you at least begin the, the returning zion by trying to win games and so you then i would say so let's say he's back mid-december you then have two months roughly between then and the trade deadline and if you're healthy enough to be competitive or whatever you try during that stretch that means i would give you you know that's not necessarily as aggressively as like only play your best you know they're your best maximize the 48 at every position or anything like that but you have that as your primary goal and and i think that that can work for the pelicans and then you assess at that juncture and the deadline is 
is always a good one because they can be evaluating your personnel and evaluating what other people see your personnel. And then at that point, are you within shouting distance? Are you not? My instinct is that they will not be. You still have so much time to then ease out of the season and maintain your draft pick. I think that's probably right. And you also just need to get Zion reintegrated. I mean, the the number one most important thing for this franchise is to get Zion Williamson playing at a superstar level again after he comes back from this broken foot. So that's more important than getting a draft pick. That's more important than anything. Also, just letting Zion play in a way that's actualized, right? You, you, in theory, put together this team with a great stretch five, Jonas Valanciunas, who is, I think he's like 15 and 26 from three or something like that. This year, maybe he'll get a chance to do a little more of that uh, but you know that volume still isn't high enough to really matter that much and you know they haven't been so terrible with their starters on the floor it's just been when they go to the bench with the likes of Jackson Hayes and Sadoransky and Trey Murphy that they're really really awful uh Kyra Lewis right now is a negative 31.9 net rating <laughs> in 169 minutes but it, but in any event so you know but maybe getting zion back there i think they could actually start to play more respectable ball i I thought they would be a you know high 30s type of win team with zion out there i think they can get back to that you want to see valanchunas and zion together a little bit get more of an understanding of how the ingram zion pairing works uh, as well maybe you might even consider trying to move valanchunas or move ingram uh but yeah i i agree with you i think you got to go out to try to win games at least the first month that Zion is back and then you know maybe you can assess a little bit but Zion I mean as much as he hasn't really gotten himself into great shape Zion does really like to play and be out there when he's actually healthy and so trying to tank does not send a good message to him and the other part of it is as you and I see it, and correct me if, if we disagree on this point, the full-strength Pelicans, you know, actualized Pelicans, are probably like maybe a 500, maybe a little bit better than that team. So if you're 500 or a little bit better than that for two months, you're still like, I mean, they're 10 games under now. They're going to be even further under by the time Zion actually returns. So like, okay, you're, then you're you're 15 under at the All-Star break. You gave you you gave it a real try, and you're still in great position to to get everything i want to do this one from um from um woke woman if you were the newly minted gm of the pelicans would you be looking to trade zion no not at all um and the the pelicans will get a lot more information on where zion like putting his like you know where where he actually values when he's extension eligible the coming off season because if he actually turns down a full max extension when you consider his injury history and everything else then that's that's when you start to like the 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 you start to like put a little bit of panic in in your step but before that he is an unbelievable talent when available and you don't get that opportunity very often so you don't sell on that early unless you get a return that i can't even conceive of yeah i agree there'll be plenty of time to move him once he once the trade demand happens if it does uh a, as a Grizz fan who doesn't want to see Jonas Valanciunas suffer with the moribund Pels, are there any possible Valanciunas trades to a contender once he's eligible to be dealt? And, and Valanciunas, to me, is not really a playoff player. You can't defend with him at the five against a good defense. Well, and, and not only that, but what what contender needs a center and exactly. has that kind of salary? I was like, I think that's a pretty good indicator. 
I mean, I mean, some of it is because a lot of those teams have centers. You know, the Sixers, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Jazz, um, the Bucks. You know, like those yeah, teams. Yeah, I, need- I can't think of any team, honestly, that has needs an upgraded starting center that we would think of as being a clear playoff team. Yeah, I think I think that's broadly I think that's broadly fair. I mean, I think you could help a team. Well, depending on what the Wizards want, there like you'd be a fun yeah. wrinkle for them to add, but like they're not going to do that. What about the Toronto Raptors? After trying to send them to Rosen last year, bring just bring bring a different part of the band back together. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, for a, but for a playoff level of team, no, I really I really don't see for whom he would be a, an upgrade. Honestly, there's yeah, I you know no, I really I I can't think of who who it would be at this point. I mean, unless there were some kind of an injury. I mean, Charlotte possibly. Huh. Yeah, it'd be a different concept, but it could work. Um, just to maybe it won't help their defense. They get better on the boards at, l- at least a little bit. I mean, I think it would help their defense, but not dramatically. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Let's move on here to the Wolves. Um, the Wolves. Minnesota four and eight, one and six since the last fifteen sixty. I saw one of I saw a really fun game with them on Wednesday. I'll, I'll probably come up in this. Uh, negative two point seven net rating is twenty second. They're twenty fourth in offense and thirteenth in defense. Um, Raptor twenty three percent chance of making the playoffs. Another team tied for tenth right now, so right on the fringe of the playoffs. Elo fifteen percent, partially because of that recent one and six. And I want to start with this question um, from from Wokelman, who had this question before. Is is Anthony Edwards now the most important player in the Minnesota franchise? And my answer is an unequivocal yes. 
Why do you say that? Because he is on the team for longer, and because I think he ha- his his development is more uncertain. So I think the Wolves. But, will well, go- so does that make it m- more important? Yes. Or just, I mean, it's the bigger question mark. But it's but if you take away Carl Anthony Towns, like to me, importance says you take this guy away. What is the result, right? So I oh, think, see, I think of that as most valuable. Well, I think important and valuable is the same thing. Now, if you want to say who is the biggest variable, like yeah, I would totally agree that that it's Edwards. But uh, I mean, the odds are against to me Anthony Edwards becoming as good of a player as Carl Anthony Towns is right now. I think that's fair. I mean, Edwards, you know, I, I saw him score forty-seven on the Warriors in a game that they lost, um, but. It was, but the idea basically could be. I mean, Towns is an unbelievable talent. You're never going to hear me hear me denigrate him, especially offensively. But it's it, it is more just what I was thinking is the arc of the franchise at this point depends more on it. And part of that is because I firmly believe that even though yes, they are 13th in defense at this moment in time, that the Wolves with Towns at center, like they're they can be unbelievable offensively, even though they haven't been so far. But you know, they're never going to get to that defensive level where they can make a lot of noise unless you have a ton of other personnel which, you know, they were forcing all those turnovers in the early stretch. Whereas, like, can Edwards, you know, it's sort of the mystery box thing. Like, can he be anything? He's, you know, 20 years old. Can he be the best player on a great team eventually? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we don't know. Like, I'm not saying he will be. I'm. There's a difference between can be, will be, and is. And I think can be is, is, is a possibility. Uh, Alex Monsets, I'm going to try and take just like three of these really quick here. Uh, what's the path you see for the Wolves to become a consistent playoff team? Does it exist with the leading players currently on the roster? Ah, consistent playoff team. So that to me means you're consistently top six or above. I don't think I do see it. The only way it could happen would be if they just blow up offensively. I don't think that this group can get above 20th on defense. And with Edwards, Towns, Malik Beasley is a big part of it. Offensive I think it maybe it could happen you know if Russell and Beasley start shooting better and Edwards uh, really blows up next year or the year after you know maybe this group could get there you you wonder about the defense though with Towns and it's just like I think you could maybe build a really awesome offense around Towns you know I hope that Chris Finch was getting there that hasn't worked out that well they're in this eternal situation which has bedeviled every Minnesota coach of okay well you've got the offensive guys you got the defensive guys we're going to go with like a Kogi and Vanderbilt and McDaniels but then those guys can't score at all and then so now we're not actually going to have a good offense even though we have these good offensive players who can't defend so they just don't have enough two-way guys Edwards to me is the one guy in this program who might get there at some point but everyone else is a one-way guy and it's just really tough to win at a high level with that type of a group we got asked a couple different ways including by Sunday Quist, of what is Carl Anthony Towns's trade value at this point just to walk people through it Towns is under contract right now for this season and two more at roughly 34 35 million a year yeah that is a fascinating question of you know is he going to get it i don't think they would get a james harden type of return even with him under contract for longer because there are just so many questions to me about whether carl anthony towns can be the anchor of a defense that's good enough now you might just be able to outscore teams the way that brooklyn did uh, last year at times 
you know, if you're a team like Atlanta or I mean, think of the, what the Bulls gave up for Vucevic, by the way, with Carter and two first round picks. So if Vuce is worth that, then obviously Towns is going to be worth way more. He's younger. He's way better as well. So, you know, it's still probably, but there's also, a, as a center, there's a little bit more limited market for him as well. But, you know, I think it would be not quite the, hey, give us literally every single draft pick. But it might be three first-round picks or two first-rounders and, like, a very good prospect. Uh, I, I'd be very interested to know the answer to that question of what his reputation truly is uh, around the league right now. I, I don't have a great answer for you. Yeah, and the question of, you know, with the, the Vooch trade, you know, whether that's an anomaly or whether that, you know, whether that is yeah. something we should that we should trust as, a like, a factor in value now. And also, like, for Towns, his offensive credentials are are legit even though yes the wolves are overall struggling offensively so does but does another team believe that there's more there defensively and i think especially some of the really rough losses that they've had over the, over the last little bit i know that i haven't read john krasinski's bcs it's actually one of the first things going to do after we finish this podcast after they got their asses handed to them by the clippers on saturday um whether it's you know and, and there are a lot of different reasons why they've had some of those insane flat performances but you know do, do is there some is some some of that stain on Towns, at least at the moment. Yeah, Francis Mack asking, uh, is Towns still a great first option for a decent NBA team, i.e. one fighting for the sixth seed and avoiding the play-in? I think I think that it is still possible, but we, we've we noticed this, right? We've praised guys like DeRozan, for example, where because of what he can do to prop up your offense, you can play more defensive players with him. Towns, you kind of run into the opposite problem, where it's really difficult to find because yeah he's awesome on offense but then you got to play these defensive players with him because he can't stop anybody and so your offense ends up not being as good as it might be with this unbelievable 40 percent three-point shooting center who can also post up and drive and score and pass and do all the things that he can do so it is hard to find when you think of all the other ingredients you need with him you need two-way wing play guys you can hit shots and defend and maybe maybe a little help defense at the four and then you also need someone who, who can attack off the dribble on the perimeter as well that's why it's really kind of a shame for the Wolves that they have so many resources tied up in Russell because if it were just Edwards and Towns and now Ed Beasley I would say even to an extent also if you're just Edwards and Towns and now we have the money tied up in Russell and Beasley that we could have used to just fill in some two-way guys around them I think you would have a team that made a lot more sense than having Russell and Beasley on it right now yeah I think that's fair you heard the chime so let's move on to the Memphis Grizzlies they are six and seven overall but three and four in the last 1560 and some of those four losses are rough um that's why Memphis is 25th in net rating outscored by 7.2 points per 100 19th in offense is all right but a little disappointing 30th in defense is cataclysmic but we'll talk about that um Raptors still modestly optimistic on them uh, projected to be the eighth seed with 39 wins and both models actually give them a 44 percent chance of making the playoffs um so I think there are kind of two interesting questions here that I want to spend a little bit of time on and they do relate to each other but I want to start with the one from Sean Masterson uh do you think the Memphis's young core is going to work should they consider a couple of big trades now and my first inclination there is that the most important part of that young core is job Morant. do i think job Morant's gonna work you bet your ass i do i mean i think jaw's unbelievable i think that he can be the he can be the leader of an offense now then the young core gonna work when you move beyond that then you're probably talking about jaron jackson you're talking about desmond bain you're talking about kind of some of the the other players that are part of their dylan brooks of course that are part of the rotation then you start to get a little bit it gets a little bit thornier yeah it does and 
we also had this question of you know should jaron jackson jr just be their starting center and they actually have been their defense hasn't been great with him as the starting center but it hasn't been 30th in the nba and they've been above water with it or i shouldn't say a starting center but while playing center for cleaning the glass and they have been above water when he's played center i think he's looked better this year we got a question on just overall his defense as well and their rebounding hasn't been just so terrible when he's at center they fouled a ton though which is not unexpected uh, and that's the other thing about playing him a ton of minutes is is he fouls a, a fair amount but you hope that their offense would be awesome and you know that's where i think jaron jackson to me has been even more of a disappointment this year i think he actually has taken some reasonable strides on defense but he's just having too many games where he's totally disappearing like in that new orleans game where he just uh, he was that they put up 102 and jaron jackson jr has plays 22 minutes three fouls four points one of eight and oh for three from the three-point line negative 20 and so you're you're just there are a lot of these games where he just disappears and he's not having these games where he bombs it for 25 or 30 his he had a couple of 19 point games but uh, also in losses as they've lost three straight uh but even then not shooting the ball particularly well the only game that he's, he's really been i would say was a really good game for him was the charlotte game and also like taylor jenkins isn't trusting him to play more than you know high 20s in minutes right now so he to me has been one of the more disappointing players of the season to date and it's really more what i always say the main thing being the main thing like he just hasn't gotten back to the level that he was as an offensive player two years ago and and along those lines it's yeah the historic shooting that he had yeah he's not up to 39 percent on six and a half threes per game jaron jackson is making 40 percent of his twos and yeah playing playing a fair amount of the four doesn't make it easier but i mean it's that that is a it is a potential problem and you know the idea of where what is his role moving forward but to tie in with um donnie's question of do the grizzly have a future as a serious playoff contender i think you know john morant gives them gives them part of the offensive ceiling he's 22 at this point his brightest year should be ahead of him and that so that you have that part can you then you know so so can you get to league average to potentially elite offensively if you have the right surrounding talent yes i think they can get there and then defensively i think they do so there is a path to being a serious contender but two things are hard one you're gonna have to have a ton of internal improvement not not just from Morant, but from basically the entire roster. But also, you're going to need to add more. You're going to need to add more good players. And Memphis does have cap flexibility. They could have some draft picks. But if we're talking about like a top four, top three team in the West that can make the conference finals and potentially get to the, the NBA finals, like I think they do have that foundation possibly. But like I, I tell this to people all the time about the Golden State Warriors, it's like yes, they ended up drafting some really good players, but they also had some of the best internal improvement in modern NBA history. And if if both of those things hadn't happened, they wouldn't have been a really good team. Yeah, and it's just, uh, we've seen flashes from a lot of these guys, but if you really look at where they are from a statistical standpoint so far this year, John Morant and Tyus Jones are really the only two players who individually are playing well at the moment obviously dylan brooks has only played two games so far but outside of that no one is really above league average and efficiency and it seems like they're trying to go towards more of an offensive bent this year and playing jackson more at center and that just kind of hasn't worked out and they've also have sacrificed their defense 
other than that one great game they played against Golden State, they haven't really been able to be just the hard-ass team to play against it that they've been throughout the, the last couple of years when they've been at their best. Any other questions uh, on this? How much time do we have here? Yeah, we got like one more minute. Um, Steve Song asked if a trader with Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks for Jalen Brown makes sense for either team. Not for the Celtics. I mean, Jaron would be an interesting Celtic, but Jalen Brown is awesome. And he's a wing who can create and can defend. Those players are more valuable than Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks together. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, Memphis, Memphis has some picks going out into the future as well which is important to remember too that memphis does i think this is this is a year where i don't expect there to be massive changes i think they're going to try and figure out what they have in some of these young guys they'll let things play out with kyle anderson see whether they want to re-sign him let things play out a little bit with steven adams maybe they would move on from him at the end of this year although he still has another year left uh, on his contract and if and at that point you'll be getting to where John Morant's going to get a max extension the pressure starts to mount with him and if they feel like hey we just don't this young group we've got some decent young players but we don't have that second star maybe they really would and I don't know if they can get a second star but if they feel like hey we just need different pieces around John Morant they have the ammo to go and get those potentially they do uh let's go to the Los Angeles Lakers they as we record this are seven and six four and three since the last 15 and 60 23rd in net rating negative 4.2 25th in offense 15th in defense below their recent standard um raptor which was extremely low on the lakers to begin the season still there um 32 chance of making the playoffs projected to be ninth elo more optimistic 42 percent and just a quick piece of news for them taylen horton tucker is not only debuting in their game on sunday against the spurs but he is starting alongside westbrook bradley carmelo anthony and anthony davis yeah so that is a pretty rough playoff odds uh, projection and we got a question from alex saying he was shocked by that projection of the playoff odds to lakers to what extent does it make you question their model well i would say given what they've done so far this season 538 has which was very low on them to start i think they had them for like 42 wins 538 would doing a better job than the rest of us uh, who you know i think i had them for 54 wins this year 53 wins now part of that's because lebron has been injured obviously but i would say that westbrook has been even worse than i thought he would be and and 538 was all over that and now if lebron comes back and there's good news that he's been doing some workouts that he he may need to practice with contact but it seems like he's he's now considered day-to-day at this point he's ramping up his activity so it seems like the worst case scenarios of his return date were a little more far-fetched those are talking about maybe six weeks or something now he could easily re-injure it and or maybe not be fully effective but I think that you still have to feel decent compared to where things were like about a week ago with LeBron. So I don't know. I mean, I I would put their playoff odds at higher than 32%. I think I said the other day with John that I would put it about 50-50 that they get out of the play-in right now because the the important thing to remember too is how easy their schedule has been to be 7-6. They also have just gotten lucky to win a bunch of overtime games, which uh, as you mentioned, they're 23rd in net rating, but they're above water, kind of like Dallas is too actually but this is so they haven't been playing that well but they did bank some wins and we'll see what happens i i'm if i'm saying they're only a i would put their playoff odds at probably something more like 65 70 percent right now yeah does that seem th- that, that seem too low to you still i think that's a it's a little low because i think lebron is just going to play a higher proportion of the remaining season than he has so far but 
maybe that's just me being that's unfounded optimism like that yeah. that's well, well i'll tell you this if if i knew that lebron was going to play 90 percent of their remaining games sure yeah put me at 85 percent making the playoff 90 percent making well the playoffs. And, and it's not like him missing this time makes it less likely that he will miss additional time like it's a, it's not no, any makes it, it more I mean, likely it, yeah exactly um and get, ad could could miss time as well um but yeah so, so that's just a gen- general thoughts on their future but what else do we have here um so we got a question from Tuki Duki about whether basically whether Russell Westbrook's athleticism based decline is more like he, he the, the questioner's idea was that his overall skill game free throws jumper handle seems to have regressed even further than as athleticism I mean Westbrook's free throw shooting dropping from the 80s during his like prime and his MVP season down to this down to like 66 percent is stunning but no I, I think for me the larger part is the athleticism because some of that all feeds together like I mean his jumper is worse now than it was but it's not as dramatic but you know not being able to get to the free throw line not being able to to do to get the damage around the basket that he used to i think those are affecting his game more than being a much worse free throw shooter uh i would say actually that he has maintained his athleticism more than i expected him to by this age 32 season but it's the skill level decline that's been the bigger issue the free throw line some but just not being able to hit a free throw line jump shot anymore i mean that's like the craziest part to me yeah it's, 3. it's definitely more surprising yeah 34 percent is in his mvp year that is above where he used to be like he actually had to get guarded out there at times in that mvp year he was deadly at the end of games now so i okay i could have expected maybe that was an outlier but if you look at his game now and just like the fact that he's just like misses these wide open mid-range jumpers by a mile and that there's clearly something in his head between that and the free throws that to me is the much more disappointing part now skill passing is a part of skill level and i think his passing has been pretty good but also the turnovers are just completely Ugh. insane this year that's part of your skill level too that's not just a lack of athleticism it's just making bad decisions trying to do stuff that you can't do over and over again well and the one piece of good news for westbrook when you compare it to last year so last year 19 percent of his shots were in the restricted area that's up to 33 percent. that's good but he's only making 52 percent of them that's bad and yeah the when you combine that with the free throw line stuff the free throw attempt rate and the turnovers some of which are on those drives to nowhere also that's of course nuking part of his that's part of why his field goal efficiency is so far down and so we got this question which i think is kind of it it, i don't want to indulge this a long time but from taylor j mcguire of would the lakers be a better team if and he said if you could swap caruso and westbrook straight up but you could even think about it if they just never traded well yeah let's do it just straight that way if the only difference on the lakers was that they you could do that like manual force trade and it was russell westbrook for alex caruso do you think the lakers would be a better team going forward i'm not sure certainly for these first 11 games of the season 100 percent. yeah because westbrook i mean he's a notorious slow starter. i guess 13 yeah. games of the season now 13 for the games. lakers um, time flies what I will what over. I will say a little bit different than that, I think Crusoe is a far better fit in the full strength lineups like the closing five, starting five when they have LeBron and Anthony Davis available. However, Westbrook even though he hasn't done it to the level that we thought before, like they need somebody to be that juice and Caruso like can't, that's just not what he does. And to his immense credit on the Bulls, they're not asking him to do it. And he's doing, he's doing an awesome job. But would I rather have, you know, if it's five minutes left in the game, LeBron and AD are available and it's a playoff game. And I would, I would rather have Caruso than Westbrook. Absolutely. All right, let's do one more here. We got a couple questions asked. Well, we could do this one quickly, like basically like the idea that the the Lakers could have gotten Lillard for the basically what they sent for Westbrook. And 
answer is no, they could not. Like if, if the Lakers make that offer, there's no way the Blazers take it. So we got the question from 1LT Diesel. Um, basically, where would Grayson Allen fit in on the Lakers? And I, I, I think he'd be a guard that you would expect to start in close games for them. Yeah, and, and by the way, this I've gotten a number of, I'm, I'm sure some like dipshit blogger in, in Milwaukee is like bringing this back up about, oh, oh Grayson Allen, number four guard. Like, cause I, I had a tweet, a snarky tweet about like, anytime you can extend your number, your fourth guard for 10 million a year, uh, you should do it. That was mostly referring to the Landry Shamit contract when we thought Landry Shamit was full four years guaranteed. But also, by the way, Grayson Allen is going to be the fourth guard on the Milwaukee Bucks when everyone is healthy. Drew and DiVincenzo and George Hill are all going to play more than him in the playoffs. Like, that's just going to happen because his defense isn't that good. So, and the Bucks are a playoff team. He's obviously, he's been valuable. And also, it's like, you know, seven and a half million a season guaranteed, which that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that that contract, really. Uh, The Shamit one was a a little crazier. Um, Yeah, I don't know how these ended up in the Lakers section, though. Uh, Well, because one of them was specifically about where Grayson Allen would fit on the Lakers. Oh, uh, I don't know. Is he really much different from Wayne Ellington? I think he's better at this point. I mean, yeah, also he's Ellington. probably better defensively. He can do a little more getting to the basket. He's also more available, at least at the moment. In time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Time. um all right that's it for the lakers let us get to the la clippers where do you want to start here with them i guess i'll start with their numbers they've won seven straight since their one and four start all of that coming in the last two weeks eight and four overall third in the nba in net rating plus 6.7 12th on offense and fourth on defense we actually see uh, some pretty big differences in the cleaning the glass non-garbage time numbers versus the full season nba.com numbers we'll get to that with the warriors too uh but yeah fourth on defense fourth in the the conference projected for 49 wins 94 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor and 94 percent chance per elo and again i'm not sure exactly how they are dealing with the Kawhi thing yeah i don't i don't know either i could start with this question from billiard 1331 is the clippers defensive rating so far which we just said is a 103 sustainable and real and i would say a lot of it is the the clippers have they have a lot of capable defenders they are working hard on that end and they you know you look at the kind of if you want to think about it from a four factors perspective forcing a lot of turnovers i think that's totally reasonable not fouling a ton that's totally reasonable but then the one that is and they're not defensive rebounding well so they can sustain at that that not well level for sure um the one that is really notable though is they're right now they're third in opponent effective field goal percentage but they're 22nd in opponent location effective field goal percentage so what that means is teams are taking opponents are taking quote-unquote good shots but they're not making them and so there there are kind of two different ways this can happen so one is this is going back to the knicks last year you're taking they're taking a ton of threes and they're missing them and so generally you expect that to regress it didn't end up happening a lot as much with the knicks last year and that is not the case for the clippers the clippers are their opponent shooting luck is pretty much middle of the road long twos and threes alike instead it's they've been 
ridiculously, and again, you can tie this back to the Knicks, ridiculously effective at making the field goal percentage, the field goal percentage around the rim is low. So it's not frequency. Frequency's a little higher than you like, but the effectiveness is low. And I think that's a mix of two things. One is, you know, when when Zubats is a capable rim protector, and they also have, they, when they're flying around, they can have some decent help and they can, they can do that. But there is also some small sample size and good fortune here, par- partially in the name, in the, in the game, name and game of Isaiah Hartenstein, who has been really good for them as a backup center, but is defying, part of that has been in these, you know, 12 games, 13 games, I can't remember how many he's played in, defying what was the case for him in Denver. Yeah, where they didn't protect the rim very well. Now they don't protect the rim very well with Jokic out there. I, I don't think that that's entirely Jokic's fault. We'll talk more about him actually uh, when we get to the Denver section. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hartenstein has been a, a real re- revelation. Law Murray has been tracking this, that he's had a positive plus minus in every game but one so far this season and we also got a question of from uh steven how do you feel about the clippers with respect to what you thought prior to the season uh i mean i would say you know paul paul george has stepped up and he's having a, a very nice year um and but I think they're broadly in line. I was I was big on their over. I thought they were going to be a, a viable regular season team that then would get their butts kicked in the playoffs unless they got Kawhi Leonard back. That's pretty much where I am. But I was higher than most. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would say that they're going to get their butts kicked in the playoffs. I mean, they didn't last year. Yeah, but I mean, I think that the... They like, I, I think they could win a first round series without Could, Kawhi. yes. I wouldn't pick them to probably yeah maybe not against one of the top two seeds but I you know I there's still we'll see maybe Golden State I I said Golden State it's feeling a little 2015-y where they're just killing people and killing people and maybe it's just gonna take time for everyone to come around and the fact that these guys are really good and so maybe Golden State will be like this awesome team in the playoffs but there isn't anybody to me that even that like totally scares the Clippers even without quite like they beat Utah last year granted Utah was a little hurt like I would probably favor Utah if they had home court advantage in that series but Utah may not be as good as they were last year either that seems to be the case so far and or at least healthy Utah might not be as good as healthy Utah was last season um and so I I could see the Clippers being somewhere like a top three team in the West with like you know an 80 percent Kawhi if he's able to come back and have a chance at actually getting out of the conference so that's my thought of it. oh and I will say that that not picking them that was assuming Kawhi does not come back if he comes back in his 80 percent then I will feel um so uh let's see how important is Nick Batum and his play to the Clippers it's very important and especially when you consider the not only Kawhi's absence but Marcus Morris being out having a a a defender who communicates well who can help well who can also hit open shots and it's you know, I mean Batum so far this year is three point you know per per game is is the highest that it has been since yeah. he was twenty four seven point five three point attempts per thirty six minutes is a very high number for him yeah and Batum making forty five percent yeah that's not necessarily going to sustain but I I think he's and I mean something we talked about a lot last year is that the ball doesn't stick with him that it keeps moving around and so I I think the Clippers offense looks looks better when he's on the floor even if he's not their best offensive player so I think he's I think he's very important to what they're doing he's not Paul George important but he's very important yeah and just plays such an important position such a good connector gives you some rim protection defensively as well no he, he has been an absolute revelation again this year he's somehow even been better this year than he was last year's regular season and yeah so, so this team you know I do wonder about their offense 
particularly if they're just playing a big center all the time. But I, I think they're going to be, they're just a tough team to play against. I thought they're doing it differently than I thought they would with Morris being out. But when he comes back, that'll give them a, a new element as well. Ibaka, we'll see. We also got a question here of uh, from Glenn Simonson of whether Hartenstein is better than Ibaka. And yeah, I, mean, I think Ibaka coming off that back injury at his age is going to have a long way to go. I think they're just, he actually went and played in the G League, didn't look that great in the G League the other day, according to reports. And so it, but he still to me does provide an important element with his stretch at the five and he's he's does add some scoring in a way that Hartenstein and Zubats maybe don't even with like a mid-ranger but obviously he's got to get back to being the player that he was before the injury or yes he's not as good as Hartenstein and what he's given and we got a bunch of questions about like how valuable is Paul George and everything else like that and I don't want to get into all of it he, who knows I, I don't we're not at awards to, like even our monthly awards yet but he might end up being a factor in some of it but well, well, just to give you his stats so far sure. this this year, 57% true shooting, getting to the line very little, 17% free throw rate, uh, 16% turnovers, which is pretty high. Assist rate is up there, though, 27% uh, per well, 36 if, minutes. Sorry, highest yeah. assist rate and highest usage rate of Paul George's entire career so yeah. far. Now, we're only through yeah. 12 games, so it's not the same as doing it for 50 or 60 or 82, but yeah. still. But he's, and he's shooting 37% from three, which is lower than he's been recently. Like, he's been a very, very good player player superstar level not in the mvp conversation to me as as of yet like the stats just aren't good enough their overall offense doesn't be good enough he's been carrying them they've been a good team they've been exceeding expectations for some people so that gets you in the mvp conversation but statistically i don't think he really has any kind of an argument so far yet yeah i mean their offense has been above average when george has been on the floor and when you consider some of the surrounding talent i think that's impressive but impressive by that standard does not make you an mvp yeah i mean he's not going to be up there with uh, I mean, Steph and KD are like the two obvious ones so far to me. But. Yeah, and I mean, Jokic has had a real. I mean, oh, he, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that was ridiculous to me. To, Jokic has got to be in there. Too. I was, uh, and then you know, Giannis, I'm sure will be there when he just as long as he he's at least playing at an MVP level when he's out there. He may just miss some time. Uh, that's it on the Clippers. So we can go to the Houston Rockets. Houston one and eleven on the season. They have not won a game since the last fifteen and sixty. Twenty seventh in net rating. Twenty eighth in defense that's not a surprise we thought they were going to be bad there um sorry sorry i got that wrong 27th in net rating yeah 28th in offense 18th in defense that's the part that's a little surprising yay um, yay um projected to be dead last in the west not a huge surprise and um elo elo gives them a half of one percent chance of making the playoffs which is significantly stronger than raptor so elo don't don't tell you that you, you've got nothing from them rockets i want to start with this one from mac attack 145 rockets are using a lot of double big lineups depending on kind of how you define terms about 85% according to Mac Attack. Do you think this hinders both Shangun and Wood's development? Um, and my answer is no, partially because as he gets into later in the question, the Rockets don't really have a lot of other options. It's not like they're blocking stretch threes and fours to play Shangun, Tice, and Wood together in some configuration. It's just those are some of their best players, and also it's you know you're, you're they're getting they're getting those guys playing time. I I I think in an ideal world, would you have a set a person a roster that could do some of those things? Yes, but they don't. So I I, I I'm okay with. I disagree. I think that Christian. 
Christian Wood playing the four is being completely wasted there. And hopefully I'm not overrating this because the last game, a uh, uh, Rockets game, I really locked in on. So you're saying like, so are you saying Wood and Tice or Wood and Shangun or both? Well, I'm saying that it would, ideally Wood and Shangun would be the only bigs playing. Okay. That the I whole Tice that, think... thing doesn't make any sense to me. And that Wood, just playing him at the four is asinine. Like, he's, he's a really good pick and roll finisher. What makes him special? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And he can take, if he's going to go into an ISO game, he's much better taking larger defenders outside and using that rather than like trying to attack against a combo forward facing up where he's not really effective because he's not strong enough to just beast guys. But so like would that. you would you play a significantly worse player to Tice? to like because Daniel House especially has been unavailable for a lot of season with this foot issue yeah. like yeah well you... I, I, what are they going to do win fewer games if you don't <laughs> play Tice like to to me it should be all about just you know Daniel Tice I, I guess I don't know why they signed him I mean maybe they didn't know they were getting Shingun when they already kind of agreed what what they're going to do maybe they feel like they can trade him I don't think they're going to be able to really trade him Tice has been shooting it okay so far this year but it, it just it to me it really eliminates Christian what makes Christian Wood effective as an offensive player to play him at the four and, and you know if they're healthy between eric gordon and house and jay sean tate and kj martin like that's enough guys to play three and four like kj kj martin and tate are totally fine for it i think yeah, those like, guys like, yeah. kj kj martin shooting is limited but you're not going to play your center on it so then you you're getting christian yeah. with the matchup you want anyway now you might bring more help around the basket but yeah, yeah that's I mean, interesting because like, i, I was it, thinking but, about yeah. it more from the like the talent quality perspective but you're thinking about it more from the like fit offensive balance perspective which is it's, yeah. it's important well and the other problem is they're playing tate at the three now in the starting lineup and that's just like you can't you don't have nearly enough shooting that way either so you're also really stagnating what you can do with wood and you're also making life really hard on guys like green and porter because you have no spacing and those guys are turning it over left and right in part of that because of that so yeah i really don't like what they're doing at all i mean like sure is daniel tice one of their five best players yeah you could sell me on that but they're not a they're not winning games this year and b that's not what they should be trying to do anyway uh, so we don't need to do this as a full WAPFO, but question from from Books31 on whether John Wall will be on the Rockets by the end of the year. And I think it's extremely likely that he will be, unfortunately for Wall and for people who want to watch John Wall play. And the reason why is because he makes an incredible amount of money. Wall this year, 44.3 million, next year, 47.4. And so that makes, that's such a large amount that trades are impractical and he has that money for next year. So it's not, you. another team in almost all circumstances would not be engaging with the Rockets to benefit themselves from a salary perspective because there aren't many guys making more than John Wall. Now next year, maybe he accepts a buyout because it's just one year. Maybe he, maybe then like a three or four year contract that the team doesn't like, that looks more palatable to the to that team than to the Rockets. But I think it's extremely likely he ends the year there. Yeah, I would say so. Maybe after the trade deadline, he would want to just go somewhere else if there's a certain opportunity. But I don't think there's a team that's a contender that really wants to bring him in as like a starter or something. So, you know, there isn't going to be a situation like with Kemba Walker where he's willing to give up $10 million a year in a buyout and he'll get a contract for that amount. Maybe that could happen next year. But I I think that's kind of that's the first time it would happen because nobody's going to give him anything above the veterans minimum before that so before next year so maybe he'll 
like I don't think there's a situation that would be so good for him to be like I'm going to give up enough money where Houston would want to give up the possibility of maybe trading him for matching salary at some point it, it just I I mean there's a reason why he's just like completely sitting out so far I don't want to go full bore on this question from Alex, but basically asked if Alpern Shangun looks like he could be a Jokic style hub of offense based on what we've seen so far. And that would, and as as Alex noted, that would be actually really useful with Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, because neither of those guys is established as a like every, you know, like a, a regular creator. And I like Shangun's passing. He throws some truly unbelievable stuff, but I think it's worth taking a beat to appreciate how rare and how high level you have to be to make it work as a Jokic-style hub. Like, Jokic is one of the most unbelievably talented players we've ever seen, especially when you consider his height. So a, you know, a discount version of that is a lot less useful for an NBA team. And that's probably what, you, that's the best case scenario for Shingun. Mostly because, and not because Shingun sucks or anything, I like him, but because Jokic is insane. Last one here, Matt Conway. Are you concerned with Jalen Green's rookie struggles in terms of his future, or is it just the byproduct of inexperience in a bad situation? You know, his jumper looks a little weird to me. I mentioned that seeing it in person. I still think it's going to be okay. I don't know if he's going to be hitting like 40% on crazy setbacks or anything. Uh, he's obviously got to get stronger, tighten up his handle, improve his vision, get a lot better defensively. He just has further to go than I thought. I thought that he, I maybe just overrated what he was doing in the G League last year to some extent. So I think he's going to be okay, but I've also, you know, I think it's hard to see these first 10 games and be quite as high in him as you were before. Let's move on here to the Golden State Warriors. They are 11 and 1, 6 and 0 since the last 15 and 60. 14.1 net rating in non-garbage time is first by a country mile. Second on offense, 114.2. First on defense, 100.1. That's actually two points per 100 better than the second best team. However, 538, still not a fan. Only projecting them for 46 wins and the seventh seed. Uh, Raptors, 79% chance of the playoffs. ELO, much higher than 93%. And uh, yeah, I mean, between the Warriors and the Lakers, two marquee teams, 538 hasn't been as high. And I think their predictions have played out reasonably well so far with the Lakers. Warriors have obviously had a very easy schedule, but doing this on any 10-game stretch, having a 14.1 net rating over a 12-game stretch, that's pretty impressive. So we could start with this question. There were a couple along these lines from Ellie Weiss, um, with the Warriors being... 10 and 1, now 11 and 1. Um, shouldn't they push all their chips in the table? Asked, uh, I'm not going to talk about the fake trade. So basically, that would be trading their recent lottery picks, Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, and some combination for more established players. And the first question is going to be how does that player fit into a starting and closing five, presuming Clay Thompson is healthy? And so that means you're almost definitely looking for a forward sized player that can reliably shoot and can defend at least their own position, but ideally multiple positions if they can't. Those players are few and far between, and you presumably want somebody who is under team control or young enough that like this isn't their only year. You know, you don't want necessarily want like a you know a PJ Tucker situation. You're not going to give up one of those young guys there. So would I give up the farm? for Harrison Barnes. That was one of the ones that Weiss acted about. No, I wouldn't. I think that he has had a much better start of the year. We'll probably talk about that in future iterations, but I would do it for a really good player that can fit in for years to come, but not for a rental. 
Yeah, that seems fair to me. And particularly given how well they're playing, I think you got to reintegrate Clay back into things uh, as well and, and sort of see where you're at. You know, another suggestion was Miles Turner. And I don't think that they that he really would improve them that much because their best lineups are, are going to be Draymond at center and Turner. Turner isn't really like a read and react type of player necessarily. I thought this is an interesting question here from Brian Klinger. He mentions Iguodala, Bielitsa, Otto Porter Jr., Damian Lee, Looney, Poole, and Gary Payton II, who have all been very good so far. But he asked how many of those are positive playoff contributors because he's concerned that you don't really have many two-way guys in that group. I think that's a very real concern. And especially, I mean, when, when Otto Porter went down with a, I think it ended up being a thigh contusion, which thankfully he was able to re- return in that game. Um, it was a reminder that I, I think in some ways he could be the most complete, you know, two-way guy of that group, depending on Iguodala's shooting. Um, yeah, P- Porter just can't defend anybody one-on-one anymore, I don't think. But I think he can within a team concept. Like if that's... Yeah, if that, no, if that's he, he's made some help plays. Like he's still, yeah. He still knows where to be, for sure. So I think that is a very real a very real problem for the Warriors. And the, you know, the it's not only about the severity of your strengths, but also about the weaknesses. So like Gary Payton, teams are already daring him to shoot. And the Warriors are better at using that. Like some of the stuff, uh, Anthony Slater's brought this up in terms of using him as a screener, which is funny because the Warriors are using to that with Draymond Green of how to use a non-shooter uh, to, to get things and his athleticism works beautifully they're getting these they're getting these good looks off of it but I think some of that stuff won't be there as much so yeah I think this is a very real concern yeah now they it's rare that they don't overall have enough shooting on the floor I would say yeah I do worry about Bielitsa defensively and maybe Porter Jr. and Lee they do have a bunch of smart guys who are able to help out behind players who can be beaten in isolation in a way that a lot of other teams don't and they're used to dealing with that with Steph being hunted over the years um but I think this is where Clay coming back is going to be huge if Clay can really still be a second option offensively that you've got two of the greatest shooters of all time out on the floor needing to be guarded and so then you can get away with so much and, and they aren't going to have guys out there who are just total non-threats your alfonso mckinney's from back in 2019 for example right there's all these guys can at least do something and can move off the ball pretty well. You know, Looney is the only one that I would be too worried about offensively. Iguodala always manages to find a place to be with this group and can slip for dunks. They also, another thing that really helps is just having a ton of really good passing. So that helps you deal with not having as much space. Uh, but yeah, and Looney, you know, we, we can transition to this next one here. We've got a couple of questions about James Wiseman and whether he's going to help or hurt them. Could they transition Looney's minutes to Wiseman's? They really want him to win that job. What do you think uh, on that is our last question here on the Warriors? I think it could help them offensively just because part of what Looney's Looney's real trouble has been as a play finisher. But Looney is also so intuitive as a screener, which the Warriors have used incredibly well. There have been, you know, different plays thrown around of like him setting screens for Steph and everything else. So I and then defensively, Looney's been I don't think he's been unbelievable, but I think he's been a part of their success. So net, I would say net most nights probably based on what we expect from Wiseman, probably slight negative, but guys improve. And so it's it's kind of it's it's a weird thing where he hasn't had this offseason to like be in the lab and work on his game, but he has been able to watch and adjust to the league and everything else like that. So I would say if I had to guess, I'd say slight negative, but not dramatically so. And there's a lot more upside than downside. So uh, we actually do have time for one more here. What are the secrets behind the Warriors number one defense? They are second 
in preventing offensive rebounds and they are third in forcing turnovers that was the thing that stuck out to me and part of why I raised my preseason projection for the Warriors I was a little worried about the defense as well but just seeing the number of guys they have like Porter and Iguodala and Peyton even Damian Lee and Steph obviously Draymond just even if you get penetration against these guys you try to make that next interior pass they just have a lot of long arms they got guys with great anticipation it's you can get into decent positions against the Warriors where you feel like you have a chance of getting a good shot like you would against normal teams you just got to make one more play one more pass take one more dribble and then you're just getting stripped or or guys are showing up in the passing lanes or getting a deflection so that third the third quarter against the bulls on on friday was an absolute master class of basically all those things yes chicago threw some shitty passes but overall the communication the execution the disruption was the best it was the best defensive quarter i've seen from any team this year well and the other thing too is they everyone knows the scouting report everyone knows who you don't have to guard which is a big problem for the bulls without vucevic in that game and so there's always just going to be more traffic against them in the paint than teams are kind of used to because they're just not going to guard the guys who don't need to be guarded everyone is smart knows the scouting report knows how to get back to their man if they have to uh let's move on to the denver nuggets yeah the nuggets are eight and four on the season four and two since last 1560 they're a strong 10th in net rating plus 3.9 and that is fueled by their defense the nuggets are 21st in offense and second in defense 538 still very optimistic on the nugs um third in the west is their projection 97 percent chance of being the playoffs a little lower in elo um and so question from stephen keating kind of like the question we talked about with the clippers of why the hell is denver's defense so good is it sustainable yeah that's an interesting question what do the indicators look like just in terms of the opponent shot making that's always the place to start in these analysis yeah it is when we're when we're early in the season nuggets have played 12 games and there are some things there that are prime for regression so last year you know the uh, denver was 13th in opponent location effective field goal percentage that's about the same as this year but they were 21st in actual effective field goal percentage so that's kind of the it's in some ways it's the opposite of what we talked about a little bit with the i think that was the clippers um but this year they're seventh in in that and and a big part of it their rim protection is a little bit better but mostly it's opponents are missing long twos and threes and so 33 percent from three 31.4 percent on long twos you expect both of those to regress to the mean that will make a meaningful difference um but they also you know there are some reasons to think that it will be better um overall i I mean i think aaron gordon's impact they have him for a full season this year which they didn't before and i would say like to me Jokic has been better it hasn't been insane but he has improved yeah a stat on that Jokic usually allows in the high 60s in terms of his defensive field goal percentage at the rim this year that's 62.4% so a little bit better and that tracks with what I've seen from watching him as well he's made more plays at the rim there have been fewer plays where he just hasn't bothered to rotate when he does get over there he's getting his hands on more balls not just with getting deflections but also actually impacting guys at the rim so I think he's been better. I think Will Barton and his kind of crab-like defense uh, has and getting deflections uh, has been really solid. Also, that's been impressive uh, to me. Uh, 
so yeah i think their starting unit defense would be pretty good they're going to be helped probably with michael porter jr being out for a little bit he was he's one of the bigger weak links to, for them even though i thought he his defense was fine so far uh, this year so are they going to sustain as a top five defense i i don't believe that to be the case i think but could, i i'm encouraged now again this doesn't necessarily mean in the playoffs that it's like totally time to reevaluate what these guys can be and what Jokic could be defensively in the playoffs going against really high level of offenses teams like the Suns or the Warriors and and teams once teams can shift their game plans and everything else like that's right. an important difference um one thing I want to keep an eye on is that last year Denver and so you I mean you mentioned they're you know they're right now they're second in defense like you could think if you you know with in, in the abstract oh well maybe it's the you know bench defense like last year they had a strong bench defense without Jokic 115.2 and they're playing really small they've lost defensive stalwart Isaiah Hartenstein from last year's team um and that right now that hasn't been working particularly well and fortunately bench defense if if the front office wants to improve it that is something that you can do in season depending on how they want to shift things with personnel um and also I think there will be some opponent shooting regression in those lineups I didn't look into it fully but it is I wanted to mention that nuance yeah, so another couple of questions here. To, you know, is, do we have enough evidence to reevaluate Jokic's defense? And, and I think I can say that yes, he's playing better than I think he probably ever has from seeing him so far. But if you're going to reevaluate things like you know my ranking of him in the top ten players in the NBA, there's not that much to me that he could do unless he's just like switching out on guys on the perimeter and staying in front of them like crazy or something like that, uh, or really just playing like unbelievable pick and roll defense defense against a team like phoenix or something over and over again where i'm gonna really change like i my default is still that he's gonna be a little bit too slow to be a, a huge positive defensively in the playoffs particularly given his offensive load as well and so he's really would have to prove it against a good offense you know going up against utah going up against phoenix last year it's not like they stopped portland last year either so generally they have not played very well defensively in the playoffs with him in there they are going to have to have a good defensive playoff series against a really good offense that has the ability to play and pick and roll with the floor spread before i will change my overall opinion that i think it's very difficult to win a championship with the Jokic at center due to his defense we got a question from at map time arcada about the nuggets new bench rotation with bones island replacing Compazzo and I need to see more. I, 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 you know, Bones is Bones is intriguing. He was somebody that we hadn't watched any film on beforehand. So I'm going to admit, like, I wanted that's going to be something I watch more closely over the next two weeks. Yeah, to me, it made sense because Compazzo has really struggled to start the year. They just need, desperately need scoring between he and Rivers being unplayable, and of course Malone also kind of being wedded to some of these bench groups without mixing and matching the starters also the fact that michael porter jr hasn't been able to join that group and play well and now he's out so they needed somebody and i thought that that the type of player that bones is even if he is a rookie just some kind of shot creation somebody who can just bomb it on that second unit was desperately needed so he fits in exactly with what they needed and we'll see once he gets more of a sample of like how whether he's actually going to be able to be efficient and make shots with that group it's just kind of too early to tell with that and i also really you know am concerned about the defense of a, a guy named bones <laughs> it's not well, and, not necessarily the, the other kind of part say. of this 
conceptually is that I brought up the defensive limitations of the non-Jokic unit earlier. You know, they're playing small and everything else. Now, maybe you could shift that a little bit, but if you're not going to be able to defend well, at least put more offensive talent on the floor and try to get your scoring up. And that's really what the preliminarily, what those lineups have done. They haven't been great defensively, but they've been better offensively. And yeah. that can They just didn't difference. have anyone who could create shots with that group. Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm confident in the idea, but I want to watch I want to watch more of the Nuggets before I say anything definitive about the film. Uh, ready to move on to Dallas? Yeah, let's finish it out here. So the Mavericks are eight and four, five and two since the last fifteen sixty. But they're so they're four games above five hundred, but they're below water in terms of net rating, negative one point four, excluding garbage time. Seventeenth in offense, twentieth in defense. 538. Raptors still optimistic. 48 wins, fifth in the conference. 79% chance of making the playoffs per ELO. And we got a bunch of different questions about why Dallas's offense is struggling and Luca and everything else, whether you want to do the one from Kirk Henderson or from, I mean, there are a bunch of different ones. And so I wanted to do a very- well, let's, pro- Should we just give the top line numbers uh, on, on Dallas's Dallas's offense first? Yeah, we can do that. So Dallas, overall on the season this year, using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter, 108 offensive rating. And if you want to compare that to last year, it was a 116.2. And part of why this is so tantalizing to Mavs fans and non-Mavs fans alike is because they replaced Rick Carlisle with Jason Kidd, somebody who you and I have been very critical of over time. And the Luka numbers, 118.3 offensive rating when Luka was on the floor last year, 105. 5.5. They've actually been nine points better per 100 possessions when Luca has been off the floor offensively so far this year. So I did a little bit of digging and I wanted to, the first thing, my basic question was, how different in terms of the actions they're running and kind of the, some of the shot distribution stuff are the Mavericks this year from last year? And again, we're only dealing with 12 games. Porzingis missed a bunch of time. And parts of it are, you know, the things we would expect, you know, the tropes with Jason Kidd. They're isolating more. They're posting up more despite having worse spacing. Um, less pick and roll, fewer spot ups, which are generally considered higher efficiency things. They're running more, but they have lower points per possession. I think some of that will improve with time. But something I thought was an interesting kind of consideration here. In terms of proportion of shots, I'm not saying quality of shots or anything like that. The Mavericks are basically taking the same proportion as catch and shoot. They're making less of them this year. And they're taking roughly the same proportion off the dribble as last year. And those are less effective as well. I think they're a little bit harder from what I've seen. And instead, they've been less efficient in basically every play type that is highly used within the Mavericks offense this year and last year. You know, they're pick and roll, less effective. They're, you know, ball handler, finisher, ISO, all those fun things but they've also you know so so some so you're like well is that offense or is is that kid or is that everything else and my answer is i think it's mostly other stuff because they just have all of these guys this year in you know we're small sample size theater here that are just shooting horrendously from the field and on threes and yes some of that is playing worse worse spacing you know playing overlapping guys not having porzingis available for all of it but do i think dorian finney smith is going to shoot 37 percent from the field and 29 percent on threes for the year no I don't. No, and Porzingis is at 30% so far. Reggie Bullock typically well above that is at 32%. And they don't really have, you know, Doncic is a little bit lower than he was last year, 31%. Even Tim Hardaway Jr., 37%. You'd hope for a little bit better from him as well. Brunson, 35% is okay. Like there's nobody who's really shooting it particularly well among their high volume players. And Kleba was okay for a little bit, but he's only played six games and he's been out since then with this 
this oblique injury. So yeah, I don't think that Jason Kidd made these guys completely forget how to shoot. They are taking more mid-range jumpers and have traded shots at the rim for that. I also think that less of Kristaps Porzingis at center is not great when playing with Powell. I think that the Porzingis-Kleba combination is a pretty good one. You know, and but I, to me, Finney Smith is such a big player because he's just going to get left open for forever until he starts hitting shots. He was already the guy that teams left open, and now he's really been struggling. So that's that's one of the biggest concerns for me and yeah you know they're running a few more pin downs for tim hardaway jr and stuff like that but i don't think that's what's killing them i think their spacing has been has been worse for sure uh but I, yeah i don't i don't think that their shot quality from three is so much worse that they're now gonna shoot whatever it is what are they shooting from three as a team right now they're uh 33 which is 25th in the nba yeah and so that that that's a, a fair way to put it now at the same point like when you look at last year the mavs were way better offensively when porzingis played at center and he played 82 percent as clean the glass filters that there are always differences of opinion some of that stuff and it's closer to 50 50 this year yeah that makes it harder especially when you're every single other center that Dallas plays every time Porzingis is playing at the four it's with somebody who can't shoot like that's just who Dallas has so but but to me I mean is I don't think there's a single individual player on the Mavs other than Jalen Brunson who just is playing as well as they played last year overall so that's and Doncic is a part of that you know Kirk mentioned his fitness is not amazing either so yeah I don't I don't it's the individual players have been so bad so far and yes you could say some of that is the coaching but yeah again I'm not you're not going to tell me that Dorian Finney-Smith is all of a sudden like taking a ton of contested threes and that's why he's at 28 percent so I do think some of it is going to shake out and that they will in the end be less effective than last year and that kid may be part of that but I can't there isn't enough to condemn that as the reason yet for me yeah I'm I'm pretty much in the same mold we got a question from Mike Parisi about should the should the Mavs or theoretically the Blazers go to the like small five model and I I don't think Dallas has the personnel for that. I mean, you you need a lot of forward-sized guys that can defend and shoot to make those lineups work. And I don't think Dallas has enough of those guys. Yeah, they have like no athleticism even Dwight Powell who again I think is playing way too many minutes right now because he's not the same effectiveness as a role man he doesn't get up for alley-oops coming off the torn Achilles he's never really been a a great defender or you know they've got him guarding out in the perimeter I don't think that really works that well either he's not the same force that he was when he was leading the NBA and points per possession as the role man a a bit ago and and he's not playing that much um but Sterling Brown so far 121 minutes and it, again, we're not saying that's a huge sample size. 33% true shooting, yeah. partially because he's made 20% of his threes and then only 33% of his twos. So like that's somebody who could theoretically provide some athleticism, some oomph, and then Josh Green has barely played at all. You know, he's in 37 minutes on the year. All right, last one here from Mr. 314. He says, okay, I think this may be a good maths question. And he is correct. Is Jalen Brunson legit? How much will he make next off season? And to me, he falls into this really interesting area because you're really kind of high-end starter guys. You're Van Vliet, you're Dinwiddie's, you're getting 20 million a year. But there aren't really many point guards who are making between 10, which is what you get if you're considered a really good backup, and 20, where you what you get if you're a really good starter. There seems to be a delineation between those two. And I can't think of many point guards, you know, maybe DeJounte Murray is one, I'm trying to think of who else is in that group. But that's kind of, I maybe that's where I see Brunton is, you know, probably above that $10 million a year 
your range but not getting 20 but that's but those contracts don't really tend to get given out that much either yeah and uh tim cato and i you don't know this we're actually working on a collaborative piece that should be out on monday at the athletic about this basic point and one of the challenges for brunson who will be an unrestricted free agent is that only probably four teams are going to have cap space they're not it's not a particularly point guard needy group depending on how a couple of front offices assess their personnel but as you mentioned it's weird to figure out to calibrate a market for him because there aren't many players like this who hit it and he's unrestricted brunson this as you know this year is brunson's age 25 season so next year will be 26 but he also despite that kind of thing he might end up being the best point guard on the market and so maybe that pushes him up for a team that's interested and but or that could just mean dallas has to pay more to keep him yeah i could see it ending i won't make you spoil your column for tomorrow but i could see it ending up kind of in the 12 to 13 million range and maybe so so that's to the point where if dallas offered him the maximum extension that they could because he's on a minimum salary right now which would be in the four-year 55 million range i would probably take that if i were him i think i'm just not sure where a much bigger offer is coming from there uh well and the interesting part this this comes up in it is that brunson that extension can't get richer so the longer the longer takes like the longer this goes on the less risk he thinks he's taking you know of mitigating by doing you know injury or whatever so his opinion on it might change a little bit even if his market value doesn't change significantly over that time so it's a but i like brunson i think he's a good player and the limitation though that i have with him and it hasn't changed as much is the idea like of the the him alone test and so it's like okay if jalen brunson is your best offensive player he is your lead creator do i do i believe that you're going to have a consistently above average offense and it has been this year you know when he's played without luca we know we're dealing with 287 possessions they have a 116 offensive rating that's fabulous that's part of why the mavericks have had a better offense have had a better offensive rating not saying they've had a better offense that's been more successful when luca's been off the floor but i'm still not there as like that's 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 the signal it's just that brunson can be that on any team but i'm more optimistic than i've been in the past all right well that will do it for our first 15 and 60 mailbag of the season you can join us in all the usual places this week what are we doing for the nba cast this week we are doing pacers at knicks uh 7 30 eastern start 4 30 pacific for those of you on the west coast should be a fun one i guess i'm getting betting we'll have the opportunity to talk about the knicks amazing disparity between their starting five and everybody else which is really interesting and so you can get that from us you can also we'll do twitter spaces on tuesday and it six, should be a fun six one. eastern three pacific by the Thank way you. i have trouble remembering what time that is until it actually happens <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so 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 that's that's probably enough to plug uh, at yeah. the moment. Uh, and so we'll we'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then, Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest. But let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.